Hey, Emily. Hey, Greg. Hockey's very exciting at this point in the season because now we get to talk about the most important thing in the world, which is awards. <laughs> That's why we play the game, right? That's why we play the game. Uh, maybe the it's just awards. The, the Oscars in me, uh, having been one of the few that apparently watched it this week. But we dropped our awards show, our awards show, our awards uh, post on uh, Monday on ESPN.com. And I got to tell you that uh, there's controversy about who should win the MVP award. Would you say there's more controversy there than people who care about whether the Panthers make the playoffs or not? I think there's more controversy there than people that care if the Panthers make the playoffs or not, and also people who care uh, whether or not uh, uh, Frances McDormand won Best Actress for Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. And who's that crazy guy who thought that he could get away with just taking that home and showing his wife? <laughs> was that the greatest thing ever? The dude, so this dude stole uh, Frances McDormand's Oscar... In the hopes of getting then into another Oscar party, which apparently maybe he thought in his, his simian brain was like, if you walk up to the door and be like, here's my Oscar, then they just let you in. No checking of ID, no nothing. And like, he would just be able to freely exist. I guess maybe like if you have one, they're, they're not like gender specific or award specific. They're just like, people will think you're like the 10th guy who did sound for Dunkirk if no one knows that the wiser. Yeah, or it's like you watch too much Willy Wonka and this is not the golden ticket. Like, that's not what gets you into parties. I think that the Oscars ratings would spike if, in fact, there, there was a chocolate center to each award is my own yeah. personal thing. Now do you, do we chocolate. get to go to the ESPYs now, by the way, that we're both working at ESPN? Like, um, I got to go to Sloan uh, because we sponsor it. Yeah. But do you think that we get ESPY tickets? Uh, totally, and I'm stealing everybody's ESPY. Or conversely, do we get to go to the SPs for that hockey category and then we're, quick, we're quickly ushered out after it's done? With the Let's Do That Hockey Award? <laughs> the the uh, Sidney Crosby Memorial Award we give to Sidney Crosby, except for that one time we gave it to Ovechkin. Yeah, and then the third time we'll give it to Chance the Rapper for all he did to uh, achievements in hockey. Exactly. He, he's probably eligible to be a nominee based on the SNL sketch now. Yeah. All right. Let's get on with the show. From the ice to your earbuds. A podcast about hockey, featuring things to do with hockey. From your friends at ESPN, it's ESPN on ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Hey, everybody, it's ESPN on ice, the podcast where ESPN covers hockey. I'm Greg Wachinski, senior writer. I'm Emily Kaplan, a national NHL reporter. And you're completely buried in the lead. You're also Emily Kaplan wearing a resplendent fur coat today, looking very much like an extra from that HBO show with James Franco and the uh, 1970s porn industry in New York. I have the bougiest coat on, and that's exactly what it looks like. And the secret is, and I'll only tell you because you're our special listeners, it was $30 at TJ Maxx. And it's also a, a quick a quick pro tip as well for those of us that are in the industry. As you found out today, pretty good to wear to a locker room. Yeah, pretty good. The abs, the abs got a kick out of it when I walked in. Nathan Pinn's like, good coat. It's a good coat. <laughs> so, uh, we will take a screenshot of me wearing this coat so you can see how fabulous it is. And I feel fabulous wearing it. I just feel like I'm ready to talk some fabulous hockey. It's fantastic. And, you know, I can only hope that at some point you do uh, go back and spend another $30 on the feathered hat to accompany the rest of this thing. I'm just going to steal one of PK Subans. <laughs> Uh, we were going to talk off the top of the show in our open ice segment about the playoff races and why not. It, it is crazy right now. Uh, Jersey and Columbus right now, uh, 74 points, 71 points respectively as we tape the podcast, holding down the wild card in the east over in the west. You've got Dallas at 80, the Kings at 77. Are you, by the way, are you of the mind that 
we should we should have a giant asterisk next to any awards nominee from the Eastern Conference because the East is such garbage compared to the West. Like that was one of the arguments the Camp McKinnon people were making uh, with regard to Taylor Hall's candidacy was that like you know oh 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 the Devils are in the first wild card in in the East. That's really sweet. They'd be like 14th in the West. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if I'm in that camp. I'm all on the team camp putting asterisks where they don't belong, though. <laughs> right. How about that? Home run records, the Devil's 95 Cup. Yeah. Just a, a, Taylor endless, Hall's endless, MVP candidacy. Endless array of asterisks. Um, the, the, the East race is, is interesting. There's a little bit of daylight now between the Flyers and the Devils. The Flyers are up by five points. Uh, there's been a ton of daylight, obviously, between Boston and the Leafs and uh, the, the Panthers, who are now coming up on the, on the wild card race. Panthers 70 points, Carolina 69, nice. Uh, the Islanders <laughs> se- uh, 67, and the Rangers somehow with 66, even though they tore it all down. You think the Devils and Blue Jackets are still your wild card teams? Do you think the Panthers are going to pull this thing out? Or, or to that end, do you think that the Hurricanes might pull this thing out? Yeah. Well, at the time of recording this, the Panthers are eight and two in their last ten games. And as long as that trend continues, I don't think anyone's stopping them. We always talk about teams that peak at the right time. And this is a team I think is finding its identity at the right time of the year after being really a middling and mediocre team for most of the season. I'm worried about the Hurricanes uh, as we're looking at these playoff projections. Money Puck has them as their highest, a 28% chance. Uh, Sports Club Stats has 14%, 19% for Hockey Viz. I don't know what any of this means. It just doesn't look good. Um, <laughs> they only have seven home games left. We all know about the home ice advantage in Carolina, but... Uh, look, this is a team that just had some goaltending issues early on. Um, was just, you know, it, it just wasn't a great year for them. Uh, the Devils, I still believe in. I really do. I think they built themselves enough of a cushion early in the year that I think they're going to pull it out. And the team I'm also worried about is the Blue Jackets. I just, I think this is a team once again that peaked at the wrong time. They went through a really hot streak in like October, or November, and here we are in March, and it's like that's great, but you've done nothing for us lately. Yeah, it's getting down to to brass tacks in these playoff races, which means that we have to start really kind of breaking down the schedules for these teams as well. And, and one thing about Florida that really stands out for me is not only do they get the senators three times who hmm. are garbage and will probably, you know, just float off into the highest number of lottery uh, balls they can find to get Rasmus Dallin. Um, but also they end the season with uh, at home against Boston, at home against Buffalo, then at Boston. That at that, that at Boston game might might as well be against the Providence Bruins. I think they're gonna, <laughs> Boston's going to basically bubble wrap every player they have in that last game of the season to make sure that everybody's uh, ready to rare and to go and against the uh, Leafs in the first round. And then you look at the Devils; they've got a really interesting stretch coming up. Like they, after Montreal on Tuesday night, they have Winnipeg at home. Then they go. We're going to find out exactly if if your prediction of them being all right is is true because they go at. Nashville, then Vegas, Kings, Duckies, Sharkies, Pittsburgh, right in a row, all in the road. Uh, if the Devils are still in a playoff spot come March 24th, uh, when they play Tampa Bay at home, which is, by the way, the end of that stretch, uh, they're making the playoffs. But this is going to be, and they're not playing really good hockey right now, the Devils. Um, this is going to be the determining factor in their season is this next stretch of games. Uh, they, they could, if they're still in a playoff spot after this murder, murderer's row of a road trip and quality teams sandwiching this thing, uh, they're, they're a playoff team and, and deserve it. And to they be deserve there. it. Right. Right. The other thing about Columbus is they've got a little, uh, uh, Canadian swing, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, uh, and then the, the, this is the, the three of their last six are there. And then the other three, 
Detroit at home, Pittsburgh at home, and then at Nashville. So you have Pittsburgh and Nashville, two teams that might be resting up towards the end as well. So it's 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 a very interesting schedule for all these teams. But if if I had to pick one as far as like who has the uh, the plushest trip to maybe make the playoffs, it would probably be uh, the Florida Panthers, who you know also have some games in hand. Isn't that wild? And it's just. I mean, I hate to bring in all this off the ice stuff, but it's really sweet to see the way they're rallying around their community, which had such a tragedy recently. They're oh, yeah. paying for the Stoneman Douglas team to go to nationals. Roberto Luongo had that amazing speech. We'll have some more from him on ESPN.com next week, but it's really just a, a feel good story the way they're rallying there. And, and look, remember earlier in the year when I did that player poll where we asked all the players who's the most underrated player in the league is and pretty much every single person said, uh, Alexi Barkov. Or Alexander Barkov. I yeah. can't even say his name right because that's how underrated <laughs> he is. We don't talk Go about him Sasha. enough. Sasha. Yeah, Sasha. Sasha. I was thinking Sasha. I, I learned that from uh, Vlad Tarasenko, by the way, because his kid is Alexander, too. And I didn't realize that Sasha was just like the go-to nickname for Alexander. <laughs> Western Conference, you know. Dallas, L.A. They're in the wild cards. Colorado, one point back of the Kings. Uh, and then St. Louis, uh, two points back with Calgary, three points back. Calgary, uh, hanging in there. St. Yeah. Louis hanging in there. Uh, Colorado obviously is the interesting one insofar as what they're able to do and, and Nathan McKinnon trying to lift that team to the playoffs. If I were a betting man, Emily Kaplan, and I am, uh, if I were a betting man, uh, I would, I would lay money still on the, uh, Dallas Stars and the LA Kings. The Stars have a, an unfriendly schedule. Five, uh, at home, 11. Yeah, were on they the playing road. at home for all of January and February? <laughs> yeah. And they, and they go at Pittsburgh, at Montreal, Toronto, Ottawa, Winnipeg, Washington for a stretch. Um, but I think I think they've maintained this pace. I still think they're going to be all right. I still think there's a very good chance they may end up in a first-round series against Winnipeg in that 2-3. Uh, and then when it comes to the Kings, I just think that there's enough daylight right now between them and the Flames that they're going to be able to pull this thing out. Uh, maybe it's a wish my heart is making to get an L.A. Kings, Nashville Predators, and or Vegas Golden Knights first-round series. Uh, but I think the Kings eke it through, make it through, and if that's the case, then we get a very tidy conversation that involves Andre Kopitar mm-hmm. and his relationship with the Hart Trophy, potentially. Yeah, that's a strong relationship. Bob, honestly, the Flames is the team that I'm kind of disappointed with at this point of year. Uh, I had them making the playoffs when we entered that big round table, but that Mike Smith injury just lurked yeah. a little too long, and I think they're going to regret not going out and getting goaltending help at the trade deadline. Uh, the Avalanche, as I said, I was at Morning Skate today before their game in Chicago. It was funny. Coach Jared Bednar was asked, like, what's it like right now that you're in the United Center and they're, like, way out looking in and you're kind of in it? And he was just like, we're happy to be here. And it almost feels like they've overachieved so much this season and anything they get is gravy. But the way they're trending, and as long as Nathan McKinnon scores, like, 18 points a night, which he's on average pace to do, uh, <laughs> I like their chances. <laughs> I do too. And, and stranger things have happened than the Colorado Avalanche making the playoffs after the year that they had last season. Uh, one thing that hasn't happened this season, Emily Kaplan, is a coach being fired in the National Hockey League, which is kind of an anomaly, uh, which means that there have been no available jobs for a guy like Dan Bilesma, uh, the former head coach of the Buffalo Sabres and the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, I caught up with Dan at the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference, uh, sponsored by ESPN. Hey, where he, was, he was on an awesome panel with John Chaka. And Chris Snow, a, a guy who works in the uh, Minnesota Wild front office, uh, really interesting conversations there. And I get right into it with uh, Dan talking about how I myself felt much smarter after that panel. John talked about hiring smart people and letting them do their job. And that's kind of how I felt on the panel today. I was yeah. 
got around some smart people and and uh, had conversations and shared ideas and I am now smarter because of it. You mentioned uh, something that I think is one of the toughest things about the introduction of analytics into hockey, which is the aversion of players not only to consume that information, but then also hear bad news. <laughs> How do you get around that? Yeah, it's 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 uh, tough and and John. Chica talked about a culture and talked about players they want to have and you know that's that's the challenge mm-hmm. I think the pertinency of the information is really 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 critical yeah. I mean you know there was a, uh, a talk on the panel about you know shooting the puck from the red line and then getting off to increase your course yeah. and there are players that feel the same way about coursing yeah and so, you know, they may... And, and, and this is, they think it's it's bogus, or, or in the yeah. sense that they think that they can do that and then it'll look better for them? Yes, and then I'm not playing the game. Right. And player A does that and has a good course team, he's not a good player. Yeah. And so it's it's not pertinent information to talk about course yeah. And that's could be their attitude of that information. So finding... Finding information and finding points of data and analytics to teach and instruct is 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 a challenge. And, yeah. and I could go on with another handful of stories about certain circumstances with analytics that have players are like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's not meeting what we know on the ice. Right. So it's yeah. The the the, the, the shooting for the red line thing I always thought was interesting because it reminds me of talking to players and you, you're like. You know what? What about the stats here? What are your What are your numbers? I don't look at the stats. I don't look yeah. at the standings. Yeah. But they all do. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and it's amazing to me that that they were that cognizant of it. There were there are there's a certain class of player that has come around in the last five years where, from a possession standpoint, I'm using air quotes, they're better than you'd anticipate. Then you watch them, and you're like. But maybe not. <laughs> and, and, and I feel like that's the kind of player... These, th- th- there's a certain counterfeit nature to some of these guys that I'm sure other players know. Yeah, well, the, I think the quantitative difficulties of hockey... Uh, uh, we're still figuring it out Yeah, with um, the metrics. And, you know, it's not a static game. And it's not a first and ten. And it's not a first pitch. And it's not a, you know... It, it's constantly every data point really is different, and, and that makes it difficult to draw a certain conclusions. So, if you want to poke a hole in a in a analytic, you can. Yeah, I think I think it's easy to do that if you want to. Yeah, and I I chuckle and laugh with you, like you know, plus minus. I think I. I I don't think it's a bogus stat. I don't understand. Oh, you do, you're a plus-minus defender. I, I am. I don't yeah. understand why people say it's a bogus stat. You, I, you score more goals when you're on the ice than when you don't. Now, I would, I might adjust that stat to take away empty net goals and, yeah. and six on five goals four. I won't give you those either. But I don't understand how you anyone can say it's not a pertinent stat. Like you score more goals when you're on the ice. Yeah. Then when you don't, and you're plus thirty, and you're minus thirty, like okay, you lose, I win. That's that's going to be the bottom line. I, I understand there's some limitations, and it's not a perfect stat, right? And there are much like, I mean, it's a, I think it's a great discussion to have because that stat is limited. I, I, I will say, and if you know you're a checking centerman, 
and you're out there against other teams' best line, who's they get a point per game in the National Hockey League, you're going to give up goals, and therefore you're going to be probably not a great plus-minus right. player. So there are circumstances to the just like just like there are to possession and, and yeah. analytics and zone starts and and quality competition and Qual- so forth. And that's the quality competition thing is the interesting not to crack because I don't think that we're there yet with it. I think you know I think you could look at it any two games. You could, you could look at Austin Matthews against the center and then look what he does against Patrice Bergeron and know that Patrice Bergeron's a better player. Yeah. But I think I, but it, I still I do think there. I mean. Quality competition is even tougher not to crack because if you start Evgeny Malkin in the offensive zone and you're starting against him in the defensive zone, yeah, that's one thing. Yeah. If you start Evgeny Malkin in the defensive zone, he's not the same player. He's not the same quality of competition if he starts in the defensive zone. Right. So he's obviously a very good player. He's getting a point a game. We can say he's you know top five in the league right now, but he's not that in the defensive zone. So right. if he if all your starts are against him and he's in the defensive zone, he's not the same player as if he's at the other end of the ring. We might be splitting hairs and blind fractions, but it, but it's, it's the truth, though. It's yeah, a, it's the truth. Uh-huh. I mean, that's why. I mean, that's why the eye test or talking about the Brooks Orpic always starts in the defensive zone back in back in the day. He still does. <laughs> starts always in the defensive zone. When the puck goes to the offensive zone, you put out Mike Green. Yeah. Or you put out John Carlson, or you put out Matt Neskin, yeah. or you put out Madison Bowie, yeah. and you pull Brooks off the ice. And, you know, granted, Brooks not Brooks not a good offensive, necessarily a good offensive zone player, but... But they, if, they, if they score, he's not getting the plus. Yeah, he's not guys, getting, Because he started the shift and he lays off the shift. So yeah, that's a good point. It's a... I'm still... I, I don't disregard plus minus, and I laugh at people who... Also say, oh, I don't look at the stats. You look at the stats. One thing I thought was interesting, you, you stressed a couple times on the panel, was uh, zone entries, particularly yeah. on the power play. And to yeah. me, you know, I think about hockey, I think about where we are. I always think of, like the NFL. And you see the NFL, you see them printing out stuff for players. Yeah. They're showing them after the, the, the offensive series what, where guys went on blocking schemes and stuff. Yeah. To me, that would seem like something you can go to somebody between periods and say, they're doing this every single time on the power play. Are we there yet, or, or are we not there yet? We're there? Uh, we're there. Yeah. I, I don't know if everyone's there, <laughs> but I just know, I know that I, I'm there. Yeah, I know that you know I get a I get a s- information about the percentages of where the puck's entered the zone, mm-hmm. and it helps me in my formulation of strategy and penalty killing and and if conversely when I'm carrying the puck in the power play if this is where they try to. They get their zone entries to happen. What we might try to do to, to do it. So, um, like I, I think the variable in game is so small that it's hard to use something in game. Right. But definitely prior to the game, mm-hmm. this is where they entered the puck. You know, this is the percentage of where the. You know, if you if you put sections across the blue line, mm-hmm. this is where they entered the puck. Eighty percent of the time, this is where they entered. You know, it, it correlates. It does correlate to what you see. I mean, right. Nicholas Backstrom gets the puck, and he is carrying the puck across the blue line for the Washington Capitals for the last eight years. Yeah. So they don't. Ovi never has it. Yeah. Never. So right. it's never going to like. They're going to him. When I get yeah. their information, you're going to be able to figure out that it's happening. Yeah. This way. You mentioned. Uh, I think John actually mentioned on the panel the, the notion of like 
old school scouts who see a guy and they know a guy and they're sure of a guy and then and then there's all this other information that you could bring to evaluate a prospect better I think are NHL players the same way is it such an instinctual thing that these guys have as they come up that they're not willing to accept the idea that there might be data that they can make them a better player I think I've had completely two different opposing situations yeah so the answer is no it's not that way um but the answer is it could be that way sometimes but the answer is it could be that way sometimes but i don't think it has anything to do with the the vikings i mean the players now are tremendously different like i talked to butch goring the other day and butch is like don't you think the video is too much and if butch goring was somehow was able to subtract 40 years from his life and go play right now it would be infinitesimally too much for Butch yeah like it would be like oh my god what please let me go play the game and I can't be bothered with all and I same thing with the statistical information like if you took Butch scoring his possession he'd be like you know and that's not limiting to Butch that's just those players back then right now in players look at Many, many, many of the players look at every shift they ever have on the ice all the time. They they, they look at a ton of video, and so they're they're, and some players are that way with their statistics too. There are some, the attitude that John talked about is probably. I mean, that's that was that's the prevalent thing that sometimes just don't want to hear. And if it doesn't make sense, then they really don't want it. Right. Right. And you mentioned Sid in there before. I, 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 I don't, and like you said, I don't know if it's an analytic thing in particular, but is he somebody who would literally look at his last few shifts while he's on the bench and say, what, do I, what, what happened here? What do I got to do? And he, it's that level of, of, of big brain for him? Sid is, you know, like John talked about uh, the brain processing and the, what they did and Connor McDavid and how they processed. Like Sid, is the, Sid is not the best hockey player in the world, skill-wise. He's... He has an, an unbelievable ability to take a situation, analyze it, work on it in a very small sample size, yeah. and improve drastically. Yeah. So if if he sees a play on TV the night before and he wants to, like, hey, we should do this, he goes and practices it ten times, he's got it. If he... There's, you know, my, the, we talk about face-offs and what he did with face-offs. Yeah. And then his shot, what he did with his shot. But he, there was an instance, puck hit off the inboards, and he was at the side of the net, and it came out, and he had an opportunity to score. He missed it. The next day, he's out getting pucks to go off the inboards into that area, and he make a play, and, and he did 15 pucks. And he's got it. Like, he's got it. Yeah. You know, he has the, we've seen him tip behind his back. You know, and score a goal, and and it's amazing, and it's not amazing. I see him do it every every day. He doesn't do 150 every day. Right. He does five every day, and he's he's got it. I and wish I wish I had that. I, I tried skiing for a week, and I'm never doing it again because I sucked <laughs> at it. And he's so good. He's, yeah. he, he'd he'd probably keep doing it. Yeah. You know so that? th- that's why Sid's the best player in the game. Yeah. Because he has that. Ability to process and then, you know, precisely, intentively work at and get better at in a in a short period of time. And he's so I see him seeing his shifts. He's 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 walking up back out on the ice and 
you know, getting better with it. It's tremendous. Yeah. Well, we appreciate your time on this yeah, one. Thank you. Our thanks to Dan Balsma, uh, who I think will be coaching at some point fairly soon, uh, when he's, you know, he's making a lot of money now, just sitting on his behind doing some NHL network stuff, which is the, this is why when you're a coach, you sign a long-term deal is so you could do this when you get canned. So there you go. Danny Balsma. Let's talk about somebody who uh, Dan Balsma is quite familiar with, having been the head coach of the Pittsburgh Penguins during the great Capitals-Penguins wars. Uh, that'd be Alex Ovechkin. Uh, Ovechkin, as we do the show today, two goals away from 600. We obviously assume that he's going to hit that mark very, very soon. And when he does, uh, please do visit ESPN.com for, well, a, a oodles. I would say oodles would be the word I would oodles use. Oodles of coverage. OV coverage. Oodles of OV uh, on on uh, on the on the site. We have a lot of fun stuff prepared for you. But in doing in doing this stuff and in thinking about it, Emily, what what's your take on Ovechkin, uh, who is about to become the twentieth player in NHL history to score six hundred goals and the third youngest after Gretzky and Lemieux? It's pretty crazy. I mean, when you have to think about it, Ovi doesn't have the benefit of playing in those wild scoring eighties like. There was a four-season stretch between 1981 and 1985 that Gretzky averaged more than 80 goals per season. Like, that's insane. Uh, so the fact that Ovi doesn't have that and his reach is so young is pretty incredible. Uh, I think that there's a chance he can catch up with Gretzky. I think it's a question of durability. And, you know, we all question that going into this year. It's almost laughable now. Remember those quotes from Brian McClellan who was like, I think Ovi's going to have to think of ways he can evolve into a player that still has a major impact on the game. Like, Ovi's the one laughing now. He looks incredible. And in training camp, I actually asked Ovi how long he'd like to keep playing. And uh, this is a quote he told me. He said, I still have lots of time to set up my legacy and how I want to be remembered. I still have time to make history. I'm 32 only. For a couple more years, I'm going to be playing at a high level. You never know when your career is going to be done or what's going to happen in the future. But you know what he finished it with? I need to win a Stanley Cup. He certainly does. We'll get to, we'll break that down in a second, but like, you know, it's funny to think back. Patrick Line, who I talked to this week, uh, brought this up about how at the beginning of the season, there was all this discussion about Ovi's, you know, fitness and shape. And this is like the last couple seasons. And there was always talk about, you know, is his goal scoring prowess on the wane and stuff like that. And then he goes out and has the season he has this year. But your point about Gretzky and, and era adjustment for goal scoring is interesting because, like, I, I realize in talking to Line, like, it's every player is going to complain about the same thing. Like, the, the Ovechkin era probably looks back at the Gretzky era and it looks at those goalies and they're like, you got to be kidding me. This is like stick men. Right. I mean, where, where's the padding? You know, no, nobody's above uh, six feet tall. And Line was talking about how um, he says, he says, lots of players have said that it is easier to score back then, 10 years ago than now. I will try, I'll try as best I can, but it's not oh. easy. And like, even today's generation looks back at Ovechkin's generation, which was 10 years ago, to say that it was easier to score, uh, when he first started playing versus, uh, versus now, which may or may not be true, by the way. I think like, uh, there's a lot more open ice now, uh, than there was maybe when Ovechkin was even playing 10 years ago. No um, slashing anymore. Yeah, no slashing anymore and that kind of thing. But, uh, power play opportunities. So, um, in that sense, it's, it's sort of a generational thing. You bring up the Gretzky thing. We take it, we're going to take a deep dive on that, you know, pretty soon on ESPN with regard to Ovechkin challenging Gretzky's overall goals lead. And, you know, for his age and his durability, as you know, Russian machine never breaks. Uh, you can make the argument that if his goal scoring prowess remains on par, and, and Sean Allen, who writes fantasy for us, kind of bought this up, remains on par for what Timu Solani did in the NHL, mm. that he's got a real shot 
and uh, at breaking at breaking Gretzky's record. To me, you know, injury is obviously one big concern. Ovi never really gets hurt. The other big concern for me, though, about Ovechkin is is sort of like where he ends up. You know, like does he do the Solani thing and, and find his Ducks team and mm-hmm. and go there and play out uh, as as a veteran with a different group? Is he going to finish his career in Washington? And then there's that kind of lingering KHL question, which is Ovechkin's made no secret the fact that he'd like to end his career in Russia. He'd like to go back and play in the KHL one day where you know, you know, the president is going to be sitting there watching him play in these games, you know, because me and Putin are very big. Join Putin team. Uh, so like there's that question too as to whether or not he's going to play in the NHL until that point. But then you bring up the, the, the Stanley Cup thing. I, I covered Ovechkin. I don't pretend to know what the man thinks other than Wodka loves it. Here's my question. Doesn't have a cup, right? Maybe he's like 38 has a shot at the Gretzky record. He sticks around, right? Like he sticks around. Let's say he has a cup. I think he sticks around anyway to try to break the Gretzky record. Well, I do think there's another factor that you haven't brought up and that's the big O word, the Olympics. You talk about his national pride of wanting to go back to Russia, but he also has such a pride to win for his country. And the Olympic teams he's been a part of have been total disappointments. So if the NHL is not going to Beijing, there's a chance that factors into whatever he does three and a half years from now. Um, We never really really talked about that. What do you think his reaction was when they won? It's probably super uh, awkward. Like, I I, I mean, A, it's the Olympic athletes from Russia, so it's not even Russia. B, it's his boys. It's like Datsuk and Kovalchuk and, and, right. and those guys went in. I mean, I think he's probably more – I think he's sadder than happy in that situation watching that team win. I think it was bittersweet for sure. And I think that, you know, if he goes back and in 2022 plays against the best competition when he's playing against Canada and it's Crosby and America and it's Kane and Eichel and, and um, Austin Matthews is like, I beat the best of the best. My gold medal is better than the 2018 gold medal. Yeah. Uh my point about Ovi, and, and this is a, my favorite anecdote that I learned about him, is that I just think he's a throwback and he's a relic. And as the NHL changes, there's something about him that just remains the same. And what I found in the preseason is that back in the day, the Caps used to all put in this pregame order from this restaurant called Mama Lucia's. And oh, yeah. these big trays of pasta, uh, fettuccine with Alfredo sauce and chicken, just super heavy. And back in the day, everyone ordered it. And now Ovi Vetchkin still orders it and like literally it's like him and Koozie like mooches off of him and like Ovi gets the bread because everyone's like, that's disgusting. Who would eat this before a game? And the world around him changes and Ovechkin remains exactly the same. Yeah. And his spirit remains the same. You know, there was a couple of years when he kind of, I think, got a little bit down and, and, and you know, there were some dark times. It was sort of like Adam Oates years. That year where Dale Hunter is like, I know he score a lot of goals, son, but maybe if you block more shots, things will go better. <laughs> um, but like his spirit's infectious and – and the, the legacy of Ovechkin, I think, extends beyond his on-ice accomplishments, although obviously, you know, his his uh, his popularity and his stardom is directly tied to the way he plays the game and, and the success he had in goal scoring. But, I mean, you're talking about a player who helped revive a franchise in, in the case of the, of the Washington Capitals, you know, almost invented uh, the expansion of their of their fan base through his enthusiasm, through the way he played. And also at the same time, I mean, you know, people forget that, and, and I, I was revisiting this when we were doing our sort of Gary Bettman retrospective. Hockey was in real trouble coming out of that canceled season. Yeah. And, and, and much like when baseball had their canceled season and there was, you know, the, the rise of the Yankees and the home run stuff and Ripken and everything else helped drag that out of the darkness. 
the combination of glamour original six style franchises like Chicago coming back to prominence, uh, the outdoor games, which I think really kind of were a game changer for the NHL and the Crosby Ovechkin rivalry was what, you know, basically put the paddles in the heart and just, you know, helped revive <laughs> the NHL after that canceled season. And uh, I think that's part of his legacy too. I'm thrilled he's going to hit 600. Uh, I, I hope that we can continue to talk about his accomplishments, uh, until his retirement, uh, hopefully, which will be in the NHL. And, you know, you brought up the cup and, I still say that the Capitals have a legit shot at winning it this year if the Penguins are cleared. You gotta get the Penguins out of the way. They're never beating the Penguins in the playoffs. They can play the Penguins in a 70 game playoff series and, and they'll be eliminated. They'd by win game. 69 times. Yeah. Nice. They, yeah, right. They'd be, right. They'd be, they would be eliminated by, uh, by game 30 or 36 or whatever. Uh, I, I think if, if somebody in the Eastern Conference, be it the Devils, be it whoever ends up uh, in the eighth seed, be it the Flyers in the first round, takes out the Pittsburgh Penguins, there's a chance that Ovechkin gets his ring this year. If he doesn't, I've said it before and I say it again, there's nothing in hockey I want more than Alex Ovechkin to raise the Stanley Cup because I do not want to have this conversation when he goes into the Hall of Fame as one of the greatest players of all time. Top 20, top 15, maybe even higher than that as far as his goal-scoring prowess. Uh, I don't want to have this conversation then. I just want him to have a cup and just be done with it. I can't wait. It'll be with San Jose, I think. My bad. Yeah, that's the other thing too is that, you know, a lot of these guys and, and this, and you know, this Tuesday was the 18th anniversary of Ray Bork's trade to the Colorado Avalanche where he won his, his, his ring. A lot of these guys end up winning rings instead of their second stage. And I know one, one of the popular theories being banded about ESPN NHL HQ is the idea that Ovechkin in his later years ends up playing in Vegas and is like their, their veteran guy he would to help lo- get them he over the hump. thrive there. Like, I feel like, you know, how we talk about all of the players like, but they live in Henderson, the suburb and they shop at Trader Joe's. Like, Ovechkin is living on the strip. Exactly. All right. We'll be right back with Patrick O'Neill of uh, Fox Sports to talk about the Los Angeles Kings and our extra attacker segment. Stick around. I love sports. I just wish they could be with me always. They say you don't choose the app. The app chooses you. It is everything I could ever want in a sports companion. It can stream the games and shows that I love. And it's there whenever I need it. I never thought I could find an app that loves sports as much as I do. Until now. Download the ESPN app to stream ESPN Radio and all the ESPN networks now. All right, Patrick. As we do the show right now, the Los Angeles Kings are a playoff team. They're in a wild card. If we talked to you in the middle of April, will they still be a playoff team? Middle of April. Uh, does that mean they're, they've won a playoff round? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I don't know about that. I think they're a playoff team. I think that that uh, that that loss in Chicago is brutal. I, I really, I mean, they just, I, I can't believe that they they choked that game away because they've been such a dominant second and third period team this year. Again, they gave up the first goal. They came back. That three one lead against a Blackhawks team that is uh, pretty much mailing it in. And uh, you know, you hate to blame Drew Doughty, but that was a costly, unsportsmanlike. For the double minor and then the power play goal just completely unraveled uh, to not get those two points. Uh, you know, now you get the four days off to kind of let that stew a little bit. So frustrating. Uh, I think they, they do make the playoffs. There's 16 games left, 10 at home, which could be an issue because they have not been a good home team. They're essentially 500 if you count the overtime shootout losses at home, which is bizarre. Uh, so um, remains to be seen who they play. If they get Nashville in the first round, that could be trouble. Who do you like as their best matchup? I like Vegas. 
Um, to be honest, I think that'd be a fun, real fun matchup. Oh, yeah. I think maybe maybe the inexperience of um, I know they got a lot of veteran veteran players, but uh, just maybe going up against uh, so many cup winners, and if the Kings steal one on the road, and suddenly the, the pressure's on them, that'd be fun. I think um, San Jose's giving them trouble. Anaheim is uh, giving them trouble. Uh, you know, and that's that's probably more likely like a two-three. I think. Um, but you never know where they are. If they're a wild card, second wild card in Nashville, it could be one eight. That could be that could be trouble. But I'd like Vegas uh, first. If they so played Vegas, do you think they'll pull what the Ducks did and do a game day flight so that they don't have any distractions staying over there? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I know it's so interesting. I wonder if that's why exactly why they've uh, been so successful at home. But they're in Vegas too, so you figure they'd have some distractions. But no, I, I don't think the Kings would uh, would do that. I think that they would uh, stay overnight for sure. Let's let's dial it back and talk big picture. I mean, sure. we all know the the stats disparity between last year and this year for guys like Kopitar and guys like Dustin Brown. I mean, was it just changing the coach? Was it was it they were just so tired of Daryl uh, that uh, they they needed to just make the change and and then everybody uh, to use the uh, the words applied to Shawn Michaels in the WWF once they all found their smiles again. What's your instinct tell you? <laughs> <laughs> my math tells me that's the case <laughs> yeah your math but as far as your actual instinct i mean i think you, you should go with that I, I don't think guys were happy i don't think dustin brown was happy i don't think kopitar uh, was happy i think changing the captaincy was kind of weird not necessarily between the dynamic between those two guys but just the effect it had on the room and maybe the, the voice being uh getting stale with uh with daryl um and um i think the injury to Jonathan Quick, we don't want to take that uh, yeah. too lightly from the first game of the year, not having him until like the last two weeks and then trying to kind of, you know, think that that's going to be the solution. Um, but I, I think, uh, yeah, new voice. I think Rob Blake, Luke Robitaille, these are all, you know, great Kings legends. And uh, John Stevens has been around, um, very comfortable and opening it up a little bit and trying to get a little more speed going, changing the, changing the game plan, getting like a, uh, I follows a uh, tremendous. Uh, he's been really, really good. Um, and, and Kempe with Carter going down. Very just the fact that the team was able to to kind of stay in the race with, with yeah. Jeff Carter yeah. missing four and a half months is pretty remarkable. Really is. That's what I was going to ask you. Is we made such a big deal early in the year about how Stevens was going to make them a faster team. They were going to adapt to the style of you know today's NHL with pretty much the same personnel that they had last season. Have you seen that maintain, or what other changes have you seen of this team, you know, from last season to this season, and even within the season? Yeah, Emily, I, you know, I know they they said that coming in, right? But I still think that they keep with that uh, defensive mindset because, you know, you still have Drew Doughty who takes as much, you know, joy out of preventing a two on one <laughs> than, than than scoring. I know he loves to score, but I mean, I just think that with Quick and uh, with, with Muzzin and. And Martinez and, and Dowdy, and then you bring in Fanoff. It's still they really want to be a sound defensive team, and they were all season long for the most part, even without Carter. Still, you know, in the top one, two, three, and goals against. Um, but I'm telling you, Alex, I have follow for the most part, other than a couple healthy scratches, has been with Kopitar and Brown, and that line is going to stay together, and, and they're going to be very effective. He's been very good, and he's getting a lot better lately, uh, finding a, a way to score some goals. It was it was tough for him there for a bit, but now he's finding the back of the net. And Adrian Kempe brings a lot of speed, and playing in you know top six minutes, tough matchups for him. He's 21 years old. He could fly and, uh, and, and could also – Make plays, and you know these guys got to play hard on the wall, right? That's where they want the Kings to be strong, is get it out of their zone, be strong on the wall. And these young guys have been effective. Michael Amadio, um, these are unfamiliar names to a lot of people that haven't seen the Kings much. Uh, has been in a lot of power play time, has played 27 games, and he looks like he's gonna gonna stick for a little bit here and and maybe um, help the team down the stretch. 
Well, in fairness, we're on the East Coast. We get very tired, so we can't see a lot of King James. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Now, Patrick, no. you mentioned I'm your on, daddy. I'm, so- on the, I'm on the West Coast, and I get very tired, too. So <laughs> Yeah, but you also get <laughs> NFL games at like 10 in the yeah. morning, and I've always been very That's jealous of that. Um, but you I also lived in New York. Th- I know. I was great. Sorry. I lived yeah. out there for four or five years. It's so different, man. It's just a different way of watching sports, no doubt. Yep. You get the NFL, you get uh, eggs and, and NFL games, but also earthquakes. So I guess it all evens out. The um, the You mentioned you doubt. And I might as well bring this up now because, you know, we do all this stuff talking about John Tavares and all these guys that might be available. There's a lot of craven, thirsty Toronto fans that believe that Drew Doughty is going to be the next guy to uh, return home and uh, and be a Leaf and uh, and be the linchpin of their cup dynasty. You know the guy. Do you, do you think Drew Doughty wants to leave L.A.? Do you, do you think there's a chance that he might as a free agent or do you think he's a king for life? Well, I think there's a chance, but I do think he's a king for life. Building a new house, does that mean anything? I guess he could build it and sell it, right? So he's got a huge lot. I mean, building this big, you know, so. But, no, I don't think that uh, plays into it. It would for me if I was building a house. I'm going to stay here forever. But, yeah, London, Ontario kid, right, loves Canada. I don't know if this means anything, but you fly so under the radar playing in L.A. There's so much to do. There's so many teams. We have maybe – four or five like beat like legitimate beat writers that come in on home games morning skates you're in toronto i've been i travel with the team i'm on the road morning skates pittsburgh all the canadian teams it's nuts it's it's non-stop continuous media pressure presence he gets that when he travels and goes on the road he's a big star but he is very low-key also out here in la and and they're a team that wants to win. So I don't know if that weighs into it all. I think he is a king for life. I think that's going to be um, something that the Kings are, are definitely going to want to do. That's a lot of money. I mean, he's going to be getting Kopitar money, right? That's oh, yeah. More, right? Ain't going to be a hometown discount. Well. <laughs> yeah. No, well, he, does he, he want to shave for Lou Lamarillo? Yeah. Why would he want to shave? Right. He looks amazing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no. That, maybe that weighs into it. You're right. No. He wouldn't want to shave or cut that flow. <laughs> Um, all right, I got one more for you. Uh, and thanks for joining us on the show today, Patrick. Uh, we had oh, you booked. Love it. Had you booked. I'm reading my Entertainment Weekly. I oh come my across, gosh. it's, it's the Oscars issue. I come across this story about 1989, a segment called The Stars of Tomorrow, a tribute to the brightest and, and, and most talented young people in Hollywood. And here, in the sort of where are they now thing on the bottom, is you. What was the deal? What, 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 tell yeah. me about that segment. That's, tell me, well, take so, a, str- a stroll so through weird. Oscar history. That's so weird because people have been. I've had a couple people bring that up to me. That's not me. What? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I have no idea. Who's another Patrick is. O'Neill? Are you serious? So, so yeah, they, they even said I was a sportscaster and and uh, <laughs> of Ryan O'Neill, and uh, that's impossible. I'm just a regular guy that loves sports that. Um, no, I have to admit that was me. It's such a ah. so embarrassing. <laughs> so, so totally here I am furiously you know, Wikipediaing right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was something that I did that I thought would disappear forever. I mean, it did for twenty years. That's see, I'm fifty. I think I was like twenty one. I was like eighty nine. When was that? That was like almost thirty years ago. And forever, nobody um, mentioned it. You know, that was the. Oscars that I don't know if you probably don't remember. You guys are too young. Rob Lowe danced with Snow White. They did some, and it was so brutal. It was considered like the worst Oscars oh, I must find this on VHS. And, and musical number ever. Like this Rob Lowe, Snow White that we all of this um, Oscar win. I want to be an Oscar winner. 
my dad and my stepmom were friends with Alan Carr, who was the producer of the telecast. And I wasn't just starting my, I wanted to be an actor when I was young. Cause I, I just really didn't know what else to do. And they, he, Alan like saw me and he's like, Oh, Hey, you want to be in this? I was like, well, sure. And then, but they all had to sing. And then Marvin Hamlish, who's like, this, like legend. Yeah. We're going down the road. It's like, and you sing. And Oh my God, I can't sing. And so they gave me a speaking part. Um, my line was, I, what was it? I'm walking across the stage. I humbly protest. I don't know. It was terrible. Anyway, I, um, there was some legit, there were some cool people though. Cool people on that. Patrick Dempsey and Patrick Dempsey, Corey Feldman, Jolie Fisher, uh, Ricky Lake was there. Yep. Um, and then at one point, I I believe uh, they said Christian Slater had a sword fight because he couldn't sing either. So they gave him yeah. like a sword to fight somebody with a with a sword. This uh, do yeah. you ever do you ever uh, look look uh, close your eyes and look fondly back at this moment of of Oscar's history for you? I don't. I don't. I, I <laughs> am so embarrassed. So embarrassed that um, I'm even. Ta- it's the first time I've talked about it in thirty years. I swear to God. I swear to God. First, that's why I'm rambling. I, I just, you know, my acting career was. I mean, I I started my broadcasting career in my early thirties, and I've been so blessed. I'm like in almost. 18, 19 years nonstop yeah. doing this. So blessed. I found my, I found my passion, what I love, I, but I tried to be an actor for like almost 12 years. You know, it's really, really hard, really challenging. And, and to just be given that those were all real, real professional people that were successful. And I, I don't know if I had any credits, I might've had one or two. So I, I was kind of embarrassed a little bit. I'm still am, you know, but I'm just happy that, you know, they didn't mention my name and, you know, I'm still like an out-of-work actor. At least they could say that, <laughs> oh, he's a sportscaster now. Yeah, so that's the one sure. thing I'm proud of. And like well, you I... said, Rob, Rob Lowe and Snow White sucked all the air out of the room. So <laughs> Exactly. We got lucky. I mean, it was fun. In a sense, it was fun that there was a little bond that was formed with all those people in those two weeks. Or we rehearsed for a, a long time and, um, and they all turned out to be, you know, a lot of successful people there. So just being around that and just seeing, seeing those guys and being, fr- you know, Hanging with Christian Slater was pretty cool. You know, I enjoy. He had just coming off Heather's, and so you knew he was going to be a star. You knew Patrick Dempsey was going to be a star, and, and I just I looked at myself and I'm like, I'm not so sure. I'm like in the same league. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird. <laughs> well, I feel bad. We brought you on to talk about the Kings. Little did you know this was a gotcha interview. <laughs> it's a podcast, right? It's a podcast. It's kind of fun. You know, I, I don't right. mind at all. And uh, no, no way. It's like uh, it's totally cool, and I appreciate you guys having me on. It's fun talking with you. You got it, man. Patrick, thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you out in L.A. Okay. Take care. Our thanks to Patrick O'Neill of the L.A. Kings for educating us about the Kings and also hanging in there through a very, what I'm sure was unexpected question from yours truly. But that's okay. I think we got good stuff. He's a champ. (laughs) All right. Now it's time for our favorite segment of the week. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs. Good one, Randy. Good one. Phil Kessel loves hot dogs, of course, our weekly look at the hockey media and uh, some of the bad decisions that we make uh, and some of the stories we shouldn't focus on that get focus and yada, yada, yada. This week, there was a couple of websites. One of them was Bar Down, our friends at TSN, that decided to put the spotlight on a couple of idiots heckling ho- Connor McDavid and his family uh, as they I think they were leaving like a movie theater or something. Uh, chirping him, recording it, putting it on the internet, putting it on social media. Bar down played the video and did the, we just played, we just put this up for clicks, but we're also going to admonish these people and they shouldn't do it again. And then the Edmonton media asked Connor about it. The Edmonton media wrote about it. 
You know, when I worked at Puck Daddy, there was a lot of stories that were sort of social media driven that maybe we put a little spotlight on that maybe we shouldn't have because it kind of encourages dumb behavior. And I'll freely admit that I'm throwing stones in a glass house right now when it comes to that. But honestly, if you're putting up a video of a bunch of people heckling a star player, what do you think is going to happen next time a bunch of idiots are near a star player with a phone? It's going to just be the same thing over again in the hopes that someone publishes the video. And like to put, to give this the, 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 the juice the that, 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 the media, yeah. Yeah, that the media did was just, I didn't understand it. It's such a non-story. And at the end of the day, I think it just encourages this, the stupid stuff. I'm like, the heckles were just dumb too. It's like, yeah, you're right? going to get traded. You're going to go play for another team. And you're right. It was just this classic news cycle that had to play out where then the coaches asked about it. And by the way, amazing response by McClellan. He was like, you know, I go to the cafeteria a lot and I, I see Connor McDavid. I'm like, where is this going? And he's like, and I always ask Connor McDavid, what are you doing today? And he's always going to the hospital to see kids. And it was just like one of my favorite answers ever because I had no idea where he was going with it. Anyway, everyone stood up for McDavid. Stupid thing all around. Don't publish it. Don't do it. Yeah. And story. And also, and also don't, don't pay, play, uh, paint with a broad brush like Patrick O'Sullivan did on Twitter saying only in Edmonton would people heckle the franchise player who has nothing to do with the team's struggles. They're going to do it in a lot of cities, yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially, especially if it's a bunch of knuckleheads out, uh, you know, with a phone. Uh, it's going to happen everywhere. It is not an Edmonton problem if that was, in fact, the inference, which I believe is the inference he made there based on his own experiences. All right. Now it's time for Puck Headlines, Dateline, Boston. Charlie McAvoy, star rookie defenseman, out four weeks with an MCL injury. Patrice Bergeron, star center, out at least uh, another week until he's reevaluated with a foot injury. Emily, are the Bruins in trouble? No. They're fine. They're everyone's <laughs> darling. Look, these are not ideal. The good news about McAvoy's injury is that this is not supposed to be long-term damage. Out four weeks. Okay, the kid's playing a ton of hockey, more hockey than he's ever played. Maybe it's not the worst thing in the world for him to rest up right now. They've got a pretty decent cushion right now in their playoff picture. Bergeron, not a deal, but again, he's going to be back soon. As long as they're there for the playoffs, I'm still on their bandwagon. Yeah, and honestly, like if it was going to happen to any team at this point in the season, let it happen to the Boston Bruins, three points up on the Leafs, mm-hmm. five games in hand on the Leafs. Uh, it, it, they're not going to catch the Lightning. They're probably not going to fall below Toronto. They're locked into a home ice situation in the 2-3 series. So uh, it's not as if this is going to dramatically swing their playoff fortunes. uh, And hopefully both guys are back before the playoffs. Dateline Calder Trophy. With your boy Brock Besser out. No. And with Charlie McAvoy out. Also my boy. Should we just... a lot. You just... Should we just like end the drama and just give Matt Barzell the Calder now and not even have him go to Vegas to collect it? We should have the award ceremony right now at the Barclays Center so that something good in hockey happened at the Barclays Center. <laughs> How about that? Finally get a crowd, you know, yeah. for the, the color cool. trophy ceremony. Cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, look, it, it's his. He's running away with it. I still would have given a legitimate candidacy to both of those players. Besser's goal total is super impressive. Yeah, yeah. McAvoy, the way he's shouldering minutes on a really top team, um, also impressive. But Barzell's got the points, and people love their points. I think the only way Brock was going to get it is if he had somehow hit like 40 goals. And It was, it was possible. It was possible, but probably not going to happen now. Uh, Dateline Seattle. What will hopefully one day be called the Sasquatch yes. blew, blew away any expectations uh, for their ticket drive. Uh, what was it? Over 25,000 season ticket deposits collected for this team. In an hour. Uh, 
in an hour. An extraordinarily impressive showing for what may also be called the Kraken. Uh, what is your takeaway from this, Emily, and what's next for Seattle? Yeah, well, it's easy to compare it to Vegas. Vegas took two days to get 10K. Uh, the difference there is that they limited to people with a Vegas area code. Seattle is definitely branding themselves as a regional team, and they have no problem saying, hey, be like the Seahawks fans. You can fly in from Alaska every weekend and come to watch us. Uh, I believe in June uh, at the, or rather, in June at the draft, I think we will officially be awarded this team uh, the as the NHL. I think in March at the uh, Board of Governors meetings, or I think it's a GM meetings, we'll have some talk about you know what's next steps and and making sure that we really are getting the same expansion process. Which the owners told me, Jerry Bruckheimer, uh, Tim Lewicki, and who's the other guy? Oh yeah, David Bonderman told me they've been assured by Gary Bettman it's going to be exactly the same and. Look, it's just inevitable this is happening. Do you have a sense of where they might, like, when they might actually enter the league and where they might play? Because Key's not going to be ready until, what, like 2009, maybe 20? No, so they're pushing up right around the deadline. They want to enter the NHL at the 2020 to 2021 season, which, as we all know, is a lockout season, LOL. Uh, (laughs) So that'll be something to watch. But, yeah, the construction comes right up against that. And I asked the mayor, Jenny Durkin, about that. And she's like, it's a really aggressive timeline. We're going to get it done. And, look, these guys have pretty deep pockets. And Tim Lewicki especially has experience building facilities. I think they're going to find a way to get it done. Oh, well, well, we shall see. And finally, Dateline, Jonathan Chichu. Jonathan Chichu, one of the more interesting players in the history of the National Hockey League in the sense that he had an incredible uh, goal-scoring campaign with the uh, with the San Jose Sharks and then kind of fell off the face of the earth after that. He played 501 games with San Jose and Ottawa. He had 170 goals. And uh, will ever for, will forever be remembered as one of the uh, great examples of what an amazing playmaker Joe Thornton is for having given him uh, at least one great fantastic season. Uh, announces his retirement from the game of hockey following 16 seasons, and you know, if nothing else, Emily uh, Jonathan Chichu uh, gave us art, inspiring this series of videos, the Chichu Train song, and here's an example of it. Train, train, choo-choo, train. The river men are gonna win this game. Choo-choo, oh yeah, choo-choo, yeah, yeah. Train, train, choo-choo, train. The river men are gonna win this game. Choo-choo, oh yeah, choo-choo, uh-huh. Train, train, choo-choo, train. The river men are gonna win this game. Choo-choo, oh yeah, choo-choo, oh yeah. Okay. I can't take any more. Uh, that was when he joined the Peoria Rivermen during one of his various comebacks. Jonathan Chichu, 56 goals in 2005-2006 for the San Jose Sharks. Won the Richard Trophy that year, and now he retires. Is that I danced that entire video in my <laughs> jacket. <laughs> Y'all missed out. All right, now it's time once again for another one of our favorite segments, the ESPN Rant Line. Hi, Emily and Greg. This is Ryan from Salt Lake City in Key West. I watched the beautiful, my team, Detroit Red Wings, lose again to the St. Louis Blues. 
here at a bar. But I was thinking, you know, this whole entire online hatred of Ken Holland seems a bit much. I don't understand how the online community, who I follow with every game, I love all the people on Twitter, Reddit, the whole thing, but they seem to have this insane hatred of Ken Holland. I don't quite understand it. I, I Maybe they think they're going to do better, but this is a guy who took us to a lot of finals and also recently got one, two, three draft picks for Tatar. Is that not a good reward? Yeah, Green didn't go anywhere, but he was injured. I don't get it. Thank you. You're doing a great job. Can't wait to listen to the podcast. Bye. Train, train. What a sign-off. Oh, sorry. Did you listen was... to his sign-off? I did. Goodbye. Yeah, we no, were... I loved that. It's possible. I wonder if may, he called right from the bar. It was amazing. We might clip. We might have to clip that and make that's that the last thing people hear on the uh, podcast every week. Um, yeah. I, you know, the Ken Holland hate. I, I, I actually. I mean, I, I understand it. Um, I understand it because, look, it was an incredible run with incredible players, and and I think that everybody can look back on that era and say that when you have Nick Lidstrom as the linchpin of your blue line, uh, that's going to make everything else kind of fall into place. And then once he retires, things kind of fell apart. I think it, it, the hatred for Ken Holland comes from the cap management. And that goes beyond the contracts that were handed out for players that were part of the sort of dynastic championship teams. I think he's just not been good insofar as uh, handing out contracts to loyal soldiers. I mean, like, you know, little things like Justin Abdelkader making $4.25 million until 2023. Like, little things like that. I know he's not necessarily the problem, but that's little problems over and over again contractually, putting them up against the cap, being a cap team when the team is clearly on the decline. Um, but as far as the game has passed him by, as far as his inability to rebuild this team, I think the jury's out. And I also think the fact that you have teams like Seattle instantly thirsty to bring this guy in is an indication that maybe there's still a little bit of gas, of, of gas left in the tank. But I do understand the angst against him. And you brought up a good point. Like, I think this trade deadline was a perfect encapsulation of him. Yeah, he was hamstrung, hamstrung by a player, Mike Green, and he couldn't make anything move. But at the same time, he kind of fleeced George McPhee to get that many picks for Thomas Tatar. Um, also, Abelkader, my only note on him is that I feel like he's just the ultimate name for Doc Emmerich to ever pronounce. I love him. <laughs> Abelkader! But uh, no, that was a great call, and we really appreciate you calling. And if anyone else has a rant they'd like to share with us, remember, you can always leave us a line at 860-516-1029. Indeed, and you can obviously also uh, reach out to us on Twitter, um, at Wyshynski, and you're at what? Emily M. Kaplan. And then also leave us your feedback on iTunes. If you dig the show, please leave us a review. Subscribe to it. Everybody who interacts with that kind of stuff uh, helps more people find the show, and we do appreciate it. Brock Besser, by the way, out four to six weeks is the uh, the final word on that as we do the show today. And the Canucks should probably be out four to six weeks as well. And he should probably be shut down. Now. There's no reason. No, reason no the team it. should be shut down. Yeah, the whole, oh, the whole the rest team. rest of the year. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's just start yeah. over again. Yeah, then Montreal's Travis Green, like let's just start again next year. I like that idea. Montreal's the same way. Like why why play mm-hmm. games? You're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You just forfeit and get yourself a I wonder if you could do that. I wonder if there's something in the CBA. All right, well, I'm going to check that out and I'll have your answer next episode. Anyways, thanks for listening to ESPN on Ice. Uh thanks to Patrick O'Neill for being a good sport and thanks to Dan Bilesma for uh his time at the Sloan Conference. And uh and that's it. That hope everybody has a great week. We'll be back next week for more fun and merriment. And uh, take care. Bye. Bye. This has been ESPN on Ice with Wachinski and Kaplan. Subscribe to the show in the ESPN app or Apple Podcasts.